Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this evening. I've got a great stream with a great guest I think you're really going to enjoy. So joining me this evening is Scott Mannion. He is a filmmaker and he has a great YouTube channel where he spends a lot of time talking about meaning, narrative, being, kind of where our identities and where our uh, kind of cultures come from and how to understand the world around us. Scott, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, man. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. So Scott is going to be talking with me about kind of modernity, meaning why people don't understand narrative the way that they used to and how understanding this better can kind of help us kind of recapture meaning in the world today. But before we get into all that, guys, let's hear from today's sponsor. Are you a college student who feels isolated as Cthulhu swims ever leftward? The Intercollegiate Studies Institute is here to help. ISI offers programs and opportunities for conservative students across the country. ISI understands that conservatives and right-of-center students feel isolated on campus and that you're often fighting for your own reputation, dignity, and future. Through ISI, you can learn about what Russell Kirk called permanent things, the philosophical and political teachings that shaped and made Western civilization great. ISI also offers many opportunities to jumpstart your career. For example, Nate Hockman, who's been a guest on this show multiple times, got his start at National Review through ISI, and he's just one of many journalists that ISI has helped start their career. If you're a graduate student, ISI offers funding opportunities to sponsor the next generation of college professors. But most importantly, ISI offers college students a community of people that will help them grow. If you're a college student, ISI can help you start a student organization or a student newspaper or meet other like-minded students at various conferences and events. ISI is here to educate the next generation of great Americans. To learn more, check out ISI.org. That's ISI.org. You can click the link down in the description to learn more. And guys, before we get started today, I just wanted to let you know that on Friday, The Blaze is going to be teaming up with uh, the Family Leadership Summit. There's going to be a meeting over in Iowa, the kind of the first uh, get together of all the presidential candidates on the Republican side. Uh, Tucker Carlson is going to be making his first appearance since uh, he was, uh, you know, kind of left Fox. Uh, it's his first public appearance, and he will be Thanks. interviewing all of the uh, candidates there, including people like Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley and others. And uh, he'll also be in an, doing an exclusive interview with Glenn Beck uh, on Blaze TV. So if you want to watch that, you can go ahead and go to, uh, let me see, I have the website here, blazemediasummit.com, and you can use the promo code SUMMIT to get $30 off of the subscription there. I'll also be at that event. Actually, I'll be anchoring the uh, Blaze News Desk there for a little bit during that in between the different candidates giving some commentary there. So if you want to catch all that, again, you can go to the blazemediasummit.com. All right, Scott, so let's go ahead and jump into this. Now, I wasn't aware of this until recently, but you have a, a, a background in filmmaking. Can you tell me a little mm. bit about how you got interested in that and how that kind of connects with your work now? Well, I worked in the industry for 15 years in various roles. <clears throat> uh, did second unit directing. I sold a spec in Hollywood to a company called Benderspink, spec screenplay, right? And uh, I made a film called The Defector, which is a Cold War drama. Oscar winner Russell Boyd shot, uh, was the cinematographer on it. The Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy team did the visual effects uh, and, you know, all the grain and such like that. So it was a you know, world-class movie. 
And uh, I won a Directors Guild Award, an AU Directors Guild Award for that. So that uh, essentially is where I came from. And what I recognized in that world um, was how corrupt it was when I received public funding and from the inside is that everything that was being advertised by this industry as uh, even at festivals as competitions weren't really competitions and it was just a breeding ground for ideological grifting and um, possession basically but also to go around at cocktail parties and say ah look at the message that I've uh, enlightened with the movie that I picked at a, at, that I funded right and even studios themselves the same sort of thing really is that that's how they if they've put out this great movie um what's good for them they didn't make it they just funded it right but if they said i i, I brought this to your awareness i brought this message that's in this movie movies aren't supposed to have themes they're not sp supposed to uh you write them in the first draft and you only discover it after that so if you start off with a theme and this is what they do in agencies right they teach from the agency level up um when you're giving coverage that's what you do in the mail room at an agency right at uta and ca is you go, right, what's the theme of this movie? And those people, uh, what's the message, right? The message, right? And so those people end up studio executives as well. So, and that's, so it was unique and easy for, uh, for that to be possessed completely, but it was always degenerate. Uh, the liberal infection has been there for a long time, right? Sort of degenerating America from underneath. And you start to notice this, the more you look into the thinkers in our space, you to see it in the movie. So in a way it's better now that woke, has, is really in our face because the audience gets red pilled. The audience comes to look for uh, parallel shows like this and hopefully a new emergent parallel film industry. But in that, being in that industry and recognizing uh, just how bad it was, um, drove me to look for the anchor of deeply who we are. What are we? Where do we come from? What's the ground of our language? What's the ground of meaning for the people? Is it in folk? Is it ethnic? What is it? Where does this come from? That where do we come from? And so that started the deep investigation that I began with my project, Greenwood, where I moved from in this individualistic art, which is in a way art shouldn't be. It's, it's more a collective thing, but to a duty, which was, OK, we're in big trouble. Uh, and it's never, I've never done anything more rewarding than all the other work I've done. Uh, I've never had. Yeah, it's, it's completely changed my life doing that and even though it, it's put all work at risk right and it's a financial uh, you know risk and all that stuff it's uh, I, I would wouldn't rather be doing anything else now i've discovered the looking for the ground of meaning and having that imbue me with itself uh right looking into the uh englishness for instance or you know for an american americanness yeah as somebody who's been in that world for so long what do you think it is i mean a lot of people look at the film industry and and they say you know why can't conservatives make this kind of thing why can't right-wingers make good entertainment like this do you think it's a lack or, or that is that just not the disposition of many people on the right is that a lack of funding is that a lack of uh cre you know creativity the ability to say certain things what is it do you think that holds back the right from making a more narrative art that way it's probably a lot of different things one is there's a lot of great um, reactionaries that have the appropriate personality distribution, like myself, like uh, Kino Corner. It's a bunch of other guys that are really good. But perhaps those people might scare the more conservative types, which have the distribution, like you mentioned, 
just then, really. They have a conservative distribution that aren't good at uh, making art, right? That aren't good at disclosing something that's at the edge of intelligibility in the culture. And so they're probably more, uh, it's harder for them to put money into something. And I, even people like Dinesh D'Souza talked about this uh, uh Originally, it was uh, conservative types with their money aren't willing to put uh, dump in billions of dollars like um, Annapura is uh, that. Uh, what's her name? The daughter of Oracle, you know, Oracle, the software. She's mm -hmm. a runs a production company, but they just dump money into things. Right. Uh, whereas we on the conservative side just weren't willing to because it's not in the distribution to just throw money down the toilet. It has to be an investment. Right. So there's a, many things that go into that. But. You are right when someone like Peter Thiel does say, well, some of it, people just aren't that good, um, right? And so they were just complaining because they were conservatives and they just weren't that good. And that can be true. I'd say like half the time. So, but he is wrong. There's definitely a problem in uh, having a talent um, vacuum to bring people in uh, and fund the people that are a bit more da uh, dangerous. But I think the key is for people with money is to look for people that have the distribution that's high in openness that are reactionary on our side. NRX is a great, people in this sphere that, uh, you know, that come on your show, it's a great, uh, that's the talent pool you want to fund because NRX is a perfect flag and signal for people that are, are reactionary, that come to it through reason, that don't perhaps have the conservative distribution, but yeah. Does that, that, that make sense? Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think we're starting to see that. I mean, I don't know if you've uh, paid any attention to like the Passage Prize uh, or you mm. know some some of these other do, yeah. creative outlets, but th I think there are people in that sphere that are pulling a lot of people together who have that distribution, yeah. have that sensibility, uh, have have the ability to make art that way. And so mm. I, I hope that continues. I, I think you're right that it is a mix of things, but I think we are seeing uh, some of those people come to the forefront, make the right connections, and hopefully uh, you know they kind of continue forward. Before we get into to what the big topic here. I wanted to get your opinion about one other thing. We just had uh, this Sound of Freedom movie come out. I don't know mm. if you've paid any attention to kind of the, the the hubbub around that, but all these liberal outlets got very angry. Uh, you know, this movie with uh, Jim Caviezel. You know, it's it's about uh, you know true story about this guy who you know goes to South America and ends up yeah. uh, saving a lot of children from sex trafficking. And uh, apparently this movie got made and then Disney shelved it when they bought 20th Century Fox and they just didn't want to release it. They refused to release wow. it. And mm. now all these people are very angry, at, you know, at the movie coming out. They're saying, oh, it's QAnon. It's, it's you know, it's it's <laughs> right wing conspiracy theory. And it's like, no, it's actually just mm -hmm. this, this like story about, you know, a guy doing mm. the hardest thing in the world heroically. Like, how mm. how can you not be behind it? Like, what does that say about a culture when a story like that, a movie like that is rejected mm. by so much of the mainstream when, when they fight so hard to try to stop a story like that from, from seeing the light of day. Yeah. I think it's probably more about who it is that's in it. Sure? If it was Tom Cruise, it probably would have just been completely ignored. Right. Uh, is he, is he uh, distinctly Christian in the movie? Uh, he certainly is though. It's, it's not preachy about it. I actually just got to finally see it today. Um, and yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty well, it's well done. Like, it's not like a, it's not like a corny, you know, faith-based, you know, movie that, yeah. that is leaning entirely on kind of it's, it's, 
uh, Christian you know altar call at the end. Like it's a it's a well yeah. done movie. It's got a good story. It was originally I think it was originally produced under 20th Century Fox. So it was it was mm. meant for release by a major studio initially. Yeah. Um. You know. So so obviously like there's allusions to his Christianity, but that it's not mm. a it's not a it's not him just preaching the whole time or something like that. Yeah. Well, it's uh, interesting that because um, people think you see that with the this is an old point people have talked about it but you know you have the christian streaming services the christian movies and they'd be just so on the nose with it right um and what i think it's really simple is that you just look to tolkien is that he he recognized how to do this it's just simply you imbue yourself so much with the culture and what it is and then you just try to uh within that tell a good story right to, mm -hmm. to do the work and then it will just flow through what you're doing um right you don't propagandize because when you turn it into techne you that's the difference between art and propaganda is that if you make an icon, you're opening people up to something in a world. But if you try to put in the message, even if it's Christian, the message, you're technically uh, creating a, again, it's a piece of technology to force one particular view, not open someone up to a, a world um, through a, a narrative, right? So the less you do that, you should just not even ever think about message at the end. If you can recognize what came out of you, the being that you voiced and then say oh how do i accentuate what came out of this and then you can do it that way but um yeah i mean you see at least the christianity was in there because when they made that tolkien movie disney they didn't put there was not one cross in it at all and all the stuff that the young tolkien you know it was called tolkien or something mm, went to the battlefields so. in fact they tried to there was one cross in something and they basically tried to pan away from it to keep it out of it, right? It's just, they're so despicable. <laughs> you know, uh, you, how do you have Tolkien without even no allusions to it? Um, yeah, crazy. Well, um, now Disney's going to try to redo uh, 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 the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, which is oh, just terrifying. I don't God. even want to know. What are they going to do to that? Right. Like, it's it, basically yes. a, a, a Christian story. It's yes, C.S. Yes, Lewis basically screamed, the lion is Jesus Christ in the middle of <laughs> So yeah, yeah. He, he wasn't as subtle as, as Tolkien there, but uh, yeah, still, yeah. still a classic nonetheless. But um, all right. So uh, let, let's go ahead and get into kind of the meat of this thing. So I think a lot of people uh, obviously look at modernity and we just it's a crisis of meaning. Obviously, we I think everyone kind of understands this at the moment. And I think this is why you look at someone like Jordan Peterson or Jonathan Peugeot. And they have, um, you know, large followings now because they actually look at things a little differently than most. While, while a lot of conservatives are trying to figure out what kind of like policy position they should be at or, mm. you know, arguing, trying, trying to make the best argument, uh, you know, facts, caring about your feelings and whatnot. These guys are talking mm. more about symbols. They're talking about narrative. They're, they're talking a, a level deeper than than most people are about yeah. kind of where we are and and what has happened to the world around us i i remember you know before i really started thinking about this stuff in any significant way just kind of being a talk radio conservative and of course you know i was a christian i had meaning in my life i thought about you know questions of faith and meaning but i don't think i understood what uh the roles that narrative played uh, narratives mm. play that that connections to the past play to uh kind of what symbolism and beauty meant these kind of things mm. what is it about the modern world where like even people who are christian or might have a religious tradition who do think about meaning 
still don't understand kind of what all these classical things that used to tie us to kind of our mm. background, our heritage, our tradition, uh, and, and kind of give us meaning. What is it that kind of tore that away from us? Well, this is technical alienation. So I think a lot of perhaps more uh, modernistic Christianity actually has become technical itself, mm. right? Is that if you're a fundamentalist, you are technical, you are a modernist, and you don't even realize it. So what really happened, it's what is meaning? Meaning is when you ask what's the meaning of a word, what are you asking? You're not asking for another proposition to describe it, are you? You're not saying, ah, can you tell me, yeah, you know, uh, what's an example? Uh, can. You're not saying, um, vase. Can, a can is like a vase. No. Meaning of a expression is an imitation of being. So what are we being alienated from? The, the very thing that the word is supposed to be an expression of being the question of being and this is heidegger right so what alienation is is the very fact that as the knower as the lo what's, what's the logos is the no the knower uh the logos means harvesting right of physis which is the sprouting and this is the beginning of metaphysics right the harvesting of the sprouting we took the harvesting for a permanence we took the harvesting uh, its proposition, which builds the way the world looks to us, right? When we harvest physis, the sprouting, we took uh, the, the, that for, that for it uh, a permanent knowledge, right? Um, this is actually where a word understanding English is more true to what it should be than uh, different words in different languages, which mean when I grasp, I grasp that. Oh, I have it. I've taken it. I've got it now. Do you? No. Everything is always decaying. So that's what happened from the ground of metaphysics from the very start. And what metaphysics, what that means is, is that before that, we were just ontic. We were just sort of uh, doing what we were doing. We didn't see the world from the outside, right? The very first question when you ask, what is, what is, makes you go Woof, like that. It's, you're suddenly, see when you see the world as a, you look at the world and you see it as a whole, you see being as a whole, right? Um, that's you as a subject, right? As a uh, uh, sort of transcend transcendent subject. I I'm just putting quoted marks here because I don't necessarily accept that ontology. But that's the point is that that uh, when you take the knowledge itself for a permanence and make yourself its ground and say, oh, we know what being is, Plato's ideas, that puts itself in, in, in front of the ground of being, which is where all meaning comes from. And so what happens is we slowly pulled away from the ground of being because we've taken us either ourselves for its ground or uh, uh, many other reasons. But yeah, so that's alienation. So our building of this, what we are, has been pulled away from the ground. And essentially what's happened is, as we've gone on through the history of philosophy and the history of being, we've added all this psychotechnology, you could call it. So you're like, the way the world looks to you is like a megazord. It's got all these appendages of 2,000 years, and you don't even recognize it. So you're walking around in modernity, and you think, oh, this is just what blank world looks like. You stare at physis, you stare at the sprouting, and go, oh, it just seems really plain to me. You've got all these appendages on you that make the world perspectively look to you how it looks, nihilistic, right? So in your very being, if you accept that what you are is this... Uh, 
ecstasis, which means uh, standing out in the world. You are, the human isn't just dude in his body. The human is this, uh, you know, ecstasis, this uh, existence, which means standing out in the world, right? Um, you've got all these appendages, basically. So that's what causes alienation, is that these appendages, this knowing that we are, we've taken to uh, be, ah, progress, Hegel, right? It's this taking, Hegel thought that we're, we're going to bring all of physis into meta. Like, it seems insanity now that we're going, all of, we're going to ultimately know all of physis and capture it as us and be the absolute idea, like angels, right? And so a good metaphor for this is we were an angel connected to being, we had our wings, right? We could have flown, but because we took the knowing as a permanence, we cut the wings off. We're the wings that have been cut off from the body, right? Thinking we're flying, but we're not flying, are we? Something's missing. We're, we're aimlessly wondering. We think we've got everything off. The transhumanists think they know, every, oh, we're going to ascend. No, you're these wings that have been cut off from the body. So the mission is to bring them back, connected to being. That's Heidegger's mission, right? Um, does that make sense? That, and so that causes the alienation. That causes all this. Uh, but still, we have these roots that are in the way being presences. I think people's mistake is thinking we've just got this naked looking at the world. Because it seems that way, doesn't it? You knock on the wood. Oh, it's here. This is just how it looks. No. You've got 2,000 years of appendages that make it look how it looks. So to try to maybe break that down a little bit and uh, make sure we've got all that. So basically you're saying that all of this civilization between us and kind of an investigation of being and meaning is altering the way that we would see the world and that we yes. would interact with the world. And that yes. means that we're really far abstracted from like the actual source of this thing that actually grounds us. And yeah. so because of that, like layer of abstraction, those layers of abstraction, we're not actually interacting with these things we're, we're taking it all for granted. And that's yeah. why we're not, we're not connecting to those things that would bring us meaning that would make us kind of understand kind of where this comes from. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. <clears throat> and it's another problem is that we we take the correctness, the apophatic, the correctness theory of truth is that does my proposition match up with someone else's proposition? Not what why are you looking at that? You've got this thing that's been always already available to you. This is being here. You don't ever listen to it. It speaks. It can speak through you. Um, yet it's yet we just look to someone else's. This is what Heidegger calls um, the they or inauthentic being. Now, authentic as a word means uh, or the auth part is Greek for one's, uh, one's own. And one means the one being, right? Being from the beginning, that primordial being we're talking about. That's what auth, authentic means. So he's saying we're to get to this uh, authentic being. But part of our being is this inauthentic being, which means not one's own, right? Not what not being this being that you always already have access to, but you've got all these appendages, like I mentioned. That, uh, not one's own, but the they, the inauthentic, is everyone else's proposition that, that you're always already, from your birth, thrown at you, right? That, that uh, is not a source of sufficiency that that being has. But all those propositions, because they, they're made, it's ideas that get sent to you, they all have that alienation problem, right? They're taken for permanences, yet they're always decaying. Uh, and that's what nihilism proves. They were always decaying. Um, they're taken for that. Yet uh, their ground is always that sufficiency that comes from being. 
right? That's meaning. That's what meaning is, being. So, yeah, that's, um, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, so so is our problem that as modern people, we wanted to, like, have control and predict and categorize and yeah. that need to constantly kind of hold nature and the world in a particular state that we so that we could make predictions and build on top of them made us not understand something fundamental about the world and that we could never really capture it quite in that way yeah in a sense yeah that's the reign of uh, quantity right but the reign of quantity uses the already known so it's a calculation of the already known right it's not a um so it sh so things that haven't yet been made intelligible the deep unknown we stop we've lost contact with the actual unknown right the actual unknown is the thing that allowed us to discover things like the numeral three which is, is an ontological distinction a fundamental because before three we just had this and also this right so it's like uh, we just had oh can and also can you're not adding up then but when you discover three the whole the whole ontological distinction the whole possibility opens up for the being that you are right we can't get to that category if we're just constantly calculating. We're using the already known. And this is the thing. We enter the world. And we think everything's already known. It's just not true. Um, and that's what you see this in black swan events is that we try. We actually use the calculation to impose on being to force it to presence as we want it to. So in a way, we actually make. And this is Faustian man killing himself. Right. It's this. You saw that video I made is that. It's this expansion thinking we actually become more Middle Eastern in trying to, instead of having this category of a hero, an individual or an epochal hero going out and always conquering this unknown, uh, we think, no, we're going to get rid of that as a, a category. Su such is our ego that we want to expand it everywhere in space and close it off. And that's that's kind of what's happening. When you're yeah. using Faustian man there, is that is that original to Spangler or is that Heidegger used that as well? Was that a general usage of, uh, you know? Oh, that's not Heidegger, no. He didn't actually think uh, that much of Spengler's theory because Spengler makes a distinction between Greek and classical civilization. I think Heidegger's right about that in the end. Uh, whereas Heidegger's history of being is... It's being is sent from classical, uh, sorry, from um, Greek times to now. It's uh, the one metaphysics. It's the one problem of the sending of being because they're the people uh, that discovered it, that, uh, that it first sent and disclosed itself to as a, as a meta, right? That we were looking on, on top of things, that we were looking above them and necessary and sufficient conditions. But part of the problem of that and the, and the loss of meaning is what the philosophers did is they removed, and you see this in Plato, they removed attunement and po poesis from uh, their inquiries into truth. So that's why Plato hates the poets, right? But that attunement is fundamental to the truth of the being when it's first sent and disclosed by gods or what, whatever you might want to call it. Removing that removes value, right? So if your method metaphysics itself the way it operates the way philosophers operate actually causes the alienation and nihilism it's the removal of the thing that is sent uh, putting it oh that's just affect that's just affect no that's the value that's the what the greeks call the nomos it's part of the what should be 
really, the valuation layer. So, yeah, it's, it's embedded deeply in it from the start. And so what Heidegger is trying to do is over, well, overcome, it's not overcome it like Nietzsche, but get to the ground of the being that was sent originally to Heraclitus, right? Like what was the mistake that was made here? He says the first mistake is physis. When physis emerges, it's seeing it as an outer, as, as, a, as a that's physis and this is us, right? And so his project is making it so everything is a, uh, and this is sort of, you see this in the fourfold, sorry, in his later work. He's making it so all the words, and he's redoing all the, um, he's redoing all the etymology, creating a new meta language. So we don't have the mistake of interior exterior. That's a mistake. And we know that from cognitive science as well, right? Is that cognition reaches out. Uh, cognitive scientists are talking about that. We space, hyper agents. We, that interior exterior is one of them, um, but creating a new language that makes it so we don't um, think that knowledge is a permanence, that we don't think that we're separate from the world. Does that make sense, right? So all the language itself was a problem and how it was articulated at the ground. It's complicated, but yeah. So you've obviously referenced him several times uh, at this point, but maybe we should take a minute for people who are unfamiliar. Uh, Heidegger is obviously mm. someone who influences you a lot. You're drawing on him quite a bit. Uh, there's a number of other people kind of in our space, uh, guys like uh, uh, like Millerman, who I've had on many times, who talk about the importance of Heidegger. Uh, you've got guys uh, uh, like Alexander Dugan, who draw on Heidegger a good bit. But he's not somebody who I think was probably in the discussion for most people mm. here. Where does Heidegger hit fit in kind of the philosophical landscape, and why is he so important? Like, what if if you're going to try to kind of explain his his project mm. or kind of the influence that he's had and why it's it's essential to kind of understanding what you talk about? What would you what, how would you explain that to people? Well, I mean, there are better experts than me about it. I didn't necessarily come on to talk about Heidegger. Oh, but sure. I no, just, yeah. just want to state that out front, right? There's <laughs> the academics who watch this and they go, what's he talking about? <laughs> but anyway, so, okay. Heidegger, being a phenomenologist, came after Husserl. And their method was based on uh, going to the things themselves, right? Creating a, what they called an epoche, which was making it so there's a bunch of procedures for phenomenology. It's saying... Removing judgments, right? Asking the, asking the, looking to the things themselves, understanding the context uh, that is in a, when you look to a, a thing, that it's always in a context. It always has a hermeneutic. It always has an interpretation, right? And so they're breaking down. What they use is a thing they call eidetic reduction, which means that you try to get a, a thing to presence in as many ways as possible. Like think about multi-stable phenomena like the duck rabbit. Have you know the duck rabbit? Yeah. Where it's a, yeah. And so it, it's multi-stable, isn't it? So you look at one part and it's, it, it turns to a duck. You look at another part, it turns to a rabbit. What the phenomenologists do is they go, okay, we start with the uh, uh, base level. Um, what are the sedimented uh, interpretations that we can actually get to presence to us? Sedimented? Okay, duck and rabbit. Then they go, okay, how do we uh, go further than that? And then they bring in the hermeneutic method. So say you have another diagram 
that uh, there's one diagram that's sort of like a hallway and it looks like a pyramid. And so the hermeneutic is that you add with your mind a little square on top of it and it's a robot, right? If you add the square. So you've added a hermeneutic layer, which is a story that makes it. But what happens is, strangely, is that you do that and then you can actually, that gets sedimented, that interpretation. You can perspectively make the robot appear in your intentionality, right? Like, like the duck rabbit, but adding a new layer with a hermeneutic that actually can be re, so that's creating, and you're creating as many of those as possible that you can go back to that become sedimented uh, to get an idea of what's the truth of this thing, if we've got all these different interpretations, right? So that's the context that Heidegger is in. Does that make sense, right? That, that what, what they were doing, it was, uh, they're, they're, and they're trying to use all those aspects of the being of the thing to try determine what the truth of it is, trying to get rid of all these appendages, right? And so in that method of getting that epoche, Heidegger continues that all the way down to the ground of, of, of philosophy and metaphysics. He does that epoche that, uh, on every philosopher. So he gets into there and then breaks it apart, gets down the next day, breaks it apart, breaks it apart, right? Not, not um, destroying them, but deconstruct, that's deconstruction. That's what they're doing. And removing it until he, and so what he's doing is actually getting being to presence to him as it did for them. It's not just a intellectual exercise. And so he takes that phenomenology and uses it for um, the question, the fundamental question of philosophy, of being. Is it, what does it mean? What went wrong, right? So his significance is that, is that he's not just Nietzsche. He's not that he's the philosopher of another beginning and that, well, that's his project, but he is the footnote to the whole of philosophy. He's saying this is what it all meant. So through that phenomenology, getting to the ground, he recognizes that, oh, the history that we've had is just the envelope. All the events that people talk about, oh, this war, that war, it's just the outside symptom of something that was being sent this whole time, being, from when it was first sent to Heraclitus and went up, right? It was speaking each time through that. Uh, and so, and through each philosopher. So it's not just a progress of ideas, right? He's overcome that. Being ascending each time and speaking. I know mean, this is, this, this part's a bit, a bit complicated, but yeah, so that's his significance. He's, he can't escape Heidegger. And people, even people like John Viveki, they, they really underestimate how important he is. And they know how important he is. The work he's doing, Viveki, is so Heideggerian, it's creating a new language. It's doing all the stuff that Heidegger discovered. He's way more significant than he said. He said in his uh, lectures there, right? Heidegger cannot be escaped. He is literally the only philosopher in our modern era. And who said this? Um, Strauss. Strauss said this, right? Is that there is no great philosopher but him in our era, right? Mm. And so when he's doing his work, it's Heidegger that he looks to. And so if you want to understand deeply that the philosophers of our time, Heidegger has understood them like no one else has in his history of philosophy, right? No, like no, no Roger Scruton, any of that. Heidegger actually truly was in their mind and in their, like, did the work to do that. So if you want to understand Nietzsche, all these people read his history of philosophy. Um, and his project is, is that and using that um, to see being and what it's saying through all the, all the history of philosophy. And honestly, he's right. When you look into it, again, I, I can't really prove that today. But um, yeah, and his project, another beginning based on that is getting back to the ground, right? So meaning properly 
presences. So we're guardians of it again, guardians of this sufficiency that's underneath everything that we've lost, reconnecting the knowing, the wings of the angel to the body of the angel is his project, right? Not the overman, not trying to overcome meta metaphysics with the old metaphysics, but reconnecting the angel so it glistens uh, again and flies, right? Yeah, these are, I think Dugan sort of used uh, metaphors like that before, but yeah, does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, and, and you know, the, the fact that I've read multiple people, including Dugan now, who lean so heavily on Heidegger means I've, I've, uh, put my toe in that water now i uh am preparing to to take a deeper dive i i did yeah. uh I, I worked through a primer and everything first so i could have a kind of have a grasp of the ideas before i really get into like being in time and such but uh but but i was still I, i'm sorry i was gonna say if i could recommend any book it would be dugan's book on heidegger oh like, okay that will that is the book on uh heidegger obviously these are names that people oh these are dangerous people that's attractive to some people but you know, you can't avoid him. And he, all the stuff that happened with the Austrian painter, he just did that out of pragmatism. He has nothing to apologize for. He, he, he did it, like Dugan even says this in his book, is it? No, he just, he did it. And then he was, he was the head of that university for a year and he left and went back to his work. He recognized that what they were doing was not, was still modernistic, as it wasn't a proper connecting to being. So, he has nothing. All the people, everyone has to say a prelude to Heidegger. Oh, the Austrian Painters Party, the Austrian Painters Party. It's like, no, man. When you see what he actually did, sorry, jump in. No, I was just going to say, it's, it's like saying somebody in China was a communist. It's like, well, yeah, it's kind of the only yeah. option at the time, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know. But, uh, but yeah, well, I, I wanted to ask you about that a little bit, though. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people look at Heidegger and they say, postmodernism right like uh you know uh, the, oh this is dangerous the dangers of postmodernism right he's deconstructing yeah. he's breaking down everything we know uh you know as as people who are i guess in some at some level dis, uh, uh, disposed to conservatism uh why would people on the right want to look at heidegger what is why why does he why would someone who's maybe more traditional more religious why would they want to look at somebody who's known as postmodern and and all about mm. deconstruction? Well, because Heidegger, no one has ever had more respect for the things that ground who they are than Heidegger, right? Is that what the postmodernists, the left-wing ones, did was abuse his work and Husserl's and use it for will-to-power purposes. So they were driven by, really not truth or getting to the ground of what we are, but by using that to uh, undermine uh, the modernists, which should be in a way, right? Undermine it, but just so they can use it to take power again. So they're still in, in the old metaphysics mm -hmm. and the old, cause the old metaphysics is about that. If presence is as will to power, presence is as forcing it's technical to force. Uh, everything's a tool to force out utility and to, uh, Mourness. I want mourness, and I'm going to use this technical mourness because I'm scared of being in nature. Right? It's um, so they abused it. Postmodernism is good. Peterson, all the people that have uh, attacked it, know it's about. Uh, and this is all the traditional school. These guys, they understand that, right? It's getting to the ground of what these things are and being, and it's not throwing out. He's, Heidegger says this over and over again. So I'm not attacking these philosophers. I'm, I'm loosening it, loosening it with this, right? To recognize that they only have an aspect 
of it, right? There's been deep problems here. He just wants, he doesn't want to throw out the wings of the angel. He just wants to reconnect them to the body. And what the conservatives need to recognize is that they're in will to power, they're in uh, the problem of metaphysics, and you need him to, to re reconnect you to the, the body of the angel. So you can fly. So you can fly. I know it's just, it sounds a bit, uh, yeah. But he, that work um, is what releases the true, helps release the true. It, you can throw away the things that have actually been your enemy. You can throw away the scientism. It's what undermines all that on purpose because it never truly had the, the 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 truth of being, never captured it. So it's a good thing. You need it. I don't know if I've completely made the case for that because it's very complicated, but basically they abused him and, and what they did, but the, the, the nobility of what he was trying to do and even Husserl and uh, people like that um, and what right-wing people who use it uh, is to sow everything that we are listens in its sufficiency is that we have being again, right? Uh, and what it truly means, um, not a false proposition it's connecting it all together and i think it's vastly superior to these sort of a religion that's not a religion and this and that that people are building that's the physicalists are building no it's sort of reconnect it all use the traditionalist school um like this is these guys that's the way if you want truth if you want your world to properly cast a vision you need them you need to understand uh, because your world's modernistic your goals are always going to be modernistic. You need them so your world perspectively looks correctly so you can have a proper telos, a, a purpose, and a purpose makes your world look a certain way, right? That means you'll be able to select a proper vision because without that, your will is always going to be pointing to things that are modernistic, right? So if you want a different vision, a different way to what the other, the left has, and we've always got People, are, no one has this alternate way to go, do they? It's always a resistance of this progress. But no, you need that so you can have, without what they are doing, the proper things won't stick out to you. That you won't be able to see it. You won't be able to see them at all, right? Yeah. I mean, Peugeot. These guys are postmodernist. Peugeot is deeply postmodernist. Mm -hmm. Radically postmodernist in what he's doing. Um, but that's good because um, God never gave you knowledge when He sent it permanently right so fundamentally it helps christianity um to go back to the symbolic way of thinking um to not think that you capture the thing propositionally perspectively fully and they help do that does that make sense yeah yeah no absolutely i think for a lot of conservatives they think that victory is like going back to the 1950s but the problem is like you know that there are so many deep problems there as well you know even though material it might materially it might have been better and and morally in many ways spiritually for a lot of people you know there there might have been good you know things that are, were better at that time there's still deep problems already you know uh kind mm. of kind of in the world in the modern world and so it's difficult for many i think conservatives to understand that like actually the things that were going to destroy you were already present and deeply yeah. a part of that world and you have to go back further or, or through, I guess, is probably the better yeah. better way to understand that you, you you can't just go back and capture that moment again. You have to get back. Mm. You have to go to something different um, in order to kind of solve that problem. But you brought up a, a word there, scientism. Um, mm. And I think that's I think that's a good one. I think most people understand what that means when they hear that, you know, is kind of the almost religious attachment to 
uh, the idea of science and what can be known and what can mm. be understood and, and how that will inform things. Do you think that a modern understanding of science can coexist or, or do you think that, that the scientific uh, knowledge as kind of we perceive it can continue to exist if you take a, 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 a go towards more the second beginning that you're talking about, if you can mm. move towards a, a better connection or return to a better connection of meaning, uh, can can science as we practice it now coexist mm. in uh, you know along with kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, it it fundamentally it'll be done in a completely different way. Sort of like Eldar from Warhammer Forty Thousand. <laughs> that makes sense to anyone? Oh no, it makes perfect sense to me. It makes sense to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I know. Exactly. You see what I mean, right? That's, that's his yeah. project. It's it's so yeah. everything. Um, is neither in, it's not captured or not, it's neither in nor out. Um, a non-permanency should work for science, you'd think, for a, 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 for a science that says, oh, we've never got the truth. They don't really stick by that. Um, uh, it's, there's a, it's a certainty. It's, oh, it's a certainty until it's not. It's a certainty until it's not, right? Um, so they don't actually carry that, the K, the K that's under every idea. But what Heidegger is looking to do, he's looking for an explosion. That's what, because you can do the work, you can go to the ground of being. That's what uh, being in time is doing. It's, con it's converting you. It's uh, removing the scientism. It's removing the layers to get to the ground of being. But you've just done it for the openness that you are. And perhaps the people that are around you, because you aren't just this one thing, right? You're more than that. You've overcome this interior exterior. You see the world as, as uh, he sees it. Actually, it looks like it, right? Your whole life's changed. You are possibility, right? So it's not just a learning something. It's a whole conversion. But you actually need to flip all of being and everyone. You need that explosion. So it has to be, it'll affect how all of, um, it affects how all science will work and everything like that. But I don't, he doesn't want to throw out uh, what, what has gone before. Mm. He wants to, uh, the truth reorganizes everything and all of knowing anyway. When you hit authentic being, you get a sort of moment of vision. When you annihilate all that, the truth of possibility appears to you, if that makes sense, right? When you, when you, you might have experienced this just naturally when you touch this authentic being, right? When you perhaps thought back to a past event and just thought about the events uh, and removed a false violin narrative you had about it or you learned something that, about your past or something that made everything hit to you and you had this moment of possibility or perhaps here's one. Nelson talked about this, is that he had all this, uh, Horatio Nelson, the hero, is that he had all these career motives and they all imploded. His life imploded, right? Uh, what he could achieve uh, became impossible. And so he had this dark night of the soul, right? And what that is, is the world has been, been annihilated. And so all this possibility suddenly opens to you. And he said, very well, I'll be a hero then, right? Because his whole world had been annihilated. You have to imagine what that looks like from the inside. So I can't remember where I was going with this, but yeah, yeah, that annihilation. Um, I can't remember where I was going with that. You're saying that there's you know, the explosion and that you would need. Oh, uh, yeah, that, needs to, that gives you the moment of vision, which rejigs all your propositions to say, yeah. oh, no, that's the truth of where that is. And so Nelson experienced that. That um, And it requires a kind of pulling apart. Most people have had at least one moment of their life. So I'm just trying to contextualize it so people understand what, what I'm talking about. 
But that should, if you had that explosion, it should move those things around. And that, what would this mean? What would this world look like with that explosion, right? It would be, you know, think about Warhammer again. It's like, we used to build things neo-Gothic, right? Uh, the way we build things change. The, for the sake of the telos would be with things again because we'd be grounded. So when we build buildings, they would be perhaps neo-Gothic, right? They'd be, be, they'd be grounded in the being of the ethnos of who we are. Uh, a rocket would have paintings on it, right? It would be like the uh, Russian cathedral of the armed forces. We mm. build buildings like that. Why do we build them utilitarian-wise? Because our world is will to power. Our world is utilitarian. That's our telos now because it's been annihilated. Um, and so the another beginning has to have everyone flip, right? And so the future ones that Heidegger talks about are us. It's the people that have done it perspectively for themselves. And you get this at church, right? So what Heidegger is never thinking about is that sacred space that you have at church is that you're going to authentic being and you think about it when you go to church and you come out your world worlds differently sorry your perspectively world looks doesn't it when you've done the ritual uh what's more important has has come to you uh mm -hmm. based on this profane you're in so it, it's a return to this sacred and what primordial being is fundamentally the poetic word for it is sacred space that's what it is and so sacred space makes the world perspectively appropriately world to you and that's what being looked like when it was originally sent to us so it's not just a religious practice it's what was sent by daemon right by god by right and, and a word for this is what heraclitus uh, called it was what it was called originally was we were homo ekom daemon which means a space for a divinity and the space that we have as what we are, this existence, this out-of-bodiness, this um, standing outside, its attunement correctly was, when it was sent originally to Heraclitus and people, daemon, divinity. And so everything that we are, that's what it was. It was given. We didn't take it, it was given. Um, and that became homo, uh, sorry, zoon, uh, homo zoon logon, which meant oh, homo possessor, I mean, the possessor of the harvesting, the logos, the possessor of the, it's important to actually understand what logos means because people throw that word around. The possessor of the knowing. If you possess it, you've got it, don't you? So you can see how it changed over time. Mm -hmm. So we need to get back to that sacred space of, no, homo, uh, we are the possessor of angels. So when, he, when, when Dugan's talking about that in his book, he does say in that political theory, oh, it's just a metaphor, but... Uh, he, it's, he believes it, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So we've spent a lot of time on kind of why this happened. We've talked a lot about kind of the theory behind it and the and, and kind of tried to suss out some of the jargon and explain that. But here in kind of our last 10 minutes, let's get really practical. Uh, you know, let, let's, let's try to take that to a more practical place. So somebody here, you know, they're, they're awash in modernity, they're alienated, you know, they're isolated, they don't, they don't feel meaning, they don't know what to do. What, how can they take this knowledge and try to reconnect themselves? How can they, mm. as, as an individual, try to once again kind of connect themselves to this larger picture, these traditions, these things that will, that will kind of tie them into a world of meaning what what can what steps can they take well yeah i mean it's start reading um i've been looking into the i've looked into the greatest heroes of your culture and the, the foundational stories but also 
find access to a sacred space, right? And start an initiation of some kind. The initiation could be at least just start walking once a day. That's just a basic thing. And on that day, I mean, you could, you could start meditation. That would be helpful because your focusing of your attention is your focusing of what's known. So when you're walking, there's a meditation you can do where it's both uh, you're focusing on this, the environment, the world, but also on one thing at the same time. It requires doing meditation for longer, but that opens you up to being, right? Gets you closer to it, right? And it will start, your world will start perspectively looking a different way. But I, I'm thinking of basics here because that takes sure. some time. So Heidegger's tough, um, but I mean, Milliman's got a good course on him, Dugan's book, but yeah, it's, it's tough work. I think the best thing is the European traditionalist uh, school like Gwenom, um, Avola, oops, I don't want to can I say his name. I mean, everyone knows who that is now. But anyway, yeah. but yeah, I think walking, initiation, Orthodox Church, doing, you know, it's, it's um, I think you need to have access to a sacred space that is um, exists right now, or else it's really hard. I mean, if you're doing it as a sort of, uh, as an elite or whatever, paganism, it's very hard because where do you go, right? You're doing it on your own. So, I mean, there are some places, as Thomas described, just in case pagans are watching, right? It's, there are places, some temples, there's not very many of them though, right? So access to a sacred space, initiating if you can, you're on an initiation. The world is there for you to initiate into. The thinkers are there for you to do. Start walking for one thing. That's why a lot of right-wing people talk about weightlifting. That's a way to get in. But the ultimate goal is to initiate, to begin this access to the transcendent. It's a world that's available to everyone still now. Looking into the ground of your, your ethnos by studying your heroes. Start walking. Start going to a church. Just go. Just start the practice and just see what happens, right? And the more traditional symbolic one, the better. Uh, and then ask your priest what to do after that rather than me. But yeah, sure. that initiation, you have to start. have to take the first step on the initiation. But recognize it's a place. It's not just a... You can get out of this fake. This is fake Scientology. The way the world looks to you is fake. <laughs> the truth is out is out there, as Mulder yeah. said. But uh, yeah, <laughs> you, men you mentioned uh, Avola there real quick. I've only read Ride the Tiger, which I there are parts of it that I like. Though overall, I can't say I was very taken with it. What other Avola would you suggest for someone who's kind of starting uh, reading his set? Yeah, Ride the Tiger sucks. That's yeah, um, it's just sort of a repeating. I mean, there's revolt against the modern world, but really read his um read his or look at my channel for instance on on arthur but no read his book on the grail right mm. read his book on the grail um he's more accessible than gwenon gwenon is more esoteric on purpose you have to do the work with him yeah. um but very good like, these guys are so important um yeah so his book on the grail that's going to connect you to some of your grounding hero narratives i mean it's probably mostly europeans who watch this but most people are culturally European anyway in these countries that speak English, but that's going to get you close to the ground of your being. It's about initiation. The grail is an initiatory symbol, right? It's the, the world egg. It's the principles in the middle as the dot, and you move from the outside of the grail to the inside. That's what it is. It's getting you to the transcendent. That's what the symbol means. But that book actually is great. There is a YouTube guy who did an audio book. So much respect to him. Um, just search um, Julius Savola. Uh, Grail audiobook, Julio Savola. I can't remember what the book's called. Just look up the, what the book's called, copy and paste that into YouTube audiobook. This guy will come up. Thank God he did it. But yeah, seven hours. You'd be able to smash through that on a walk very quickly. Why don't you listen to that and then revolt against the modern world? 
uh, on your walks. That's your, the start of your initiation. Yeah, I, I, I get I get actually get uh, quite a bit of uh, uh, work done uh, by walking and listening to books on YouTube. That's how I got through uh, Unqualified Reservations. That's how I got through Ride yeah. the Tiger. That's how I got through, uh, you know, Democracy: The God Who Failed. Like that's uh, that's it's a it's a good way to kind of uh, you know physically uh, kind of ground yourself and then also uh, you know absorb something important at the same time. So I think it's it's really good advice. All right. Well, we are going to go ahead and get ready to wrap up here, Scott. But before we do, uh, where can people find your work? Uh, do you have anything exciting coming out that people should look for? Just tell people where to find what you're doing. Yeah, just YouTube, Scott Mannion, M-A-N-N-I-O-N, or Greenwood.media will send you to my website, which is Scott Mannion. Greenwood.media is easier to remember. What I have coming out is a divining the future video right, about what happened in the coronation, about the ground what I think is happening is the emergence of an actual Caesar based on what happened in the coronation. So it's pretty important. I've been working on it for ages, but it is a inspiring, uh, you know, it's, it's not fiction. It's something that I've looked into what, what happened there. And that's, yeah, this more that meets the eye of what's going on. Um, and it's related to that of, uh, of Ola Arthurian book. It's the return of Arthur, return of the King, hopefully. But yeah, that's what I've got coming out. Probably be out in, the end of the month video on that yeah Excellent. or yeah i've got other metaphysical stuff there it's about the ground of the culture of both uh historical american and anglo-saxon even european right it's looking to the ground of that stuff if you want to check it out but yeah subscribe absolutely oh Thanks, guys man. make yeah. sure that you're checking out scott's uh, excellent youtube channel of course and if it's your first time on this channel go ahead and make sure that you subscribe if you'd like to get these shows as a podcast, of course, you can subscribe to the Oren McIntyre show on your favorite podcast platform. When you do that, please leave a rating or review that really helps with all the algorithm stuff. Well, thank you, everybody, for coming by. Thanks again to Scott. Again, make sure you're checking out his work. It's very good. Thank you for coming by, everyone. And as always, we'll talk to you next time.